The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. No my hockey my ki other fold emihine called Duncan Gray talking awa. I'm about to do a monopod, you know, I do them periodically when there's a lot going on. Um, the wild thing is that I've, I'm actually re-recording. I, I did one of these, uh, I'm recording this Friday morning, the 23rd of September. Yesterday morning I recorded this first segment and it was about the merger, about the state of it, about the, the draft bill that's before Parliament and, uh, and it was basically saying... There's a lot that could happen, but we don't know. Honestly, like two hours after I finished recording, the whole thing blew up and there's been three massive developments. Well, two massive developments and one small petty thing, which I think is actually quite funny. So I'm going to just redo the whole thing. Then after that, uh, I talk about the state of social media, the kind of the, the big changes that, that Facebook is doing in the face of the growth of, of TikTok in particular. And then finally, a little bit about the Queen uh, and the really the kind of saturation media coverage of that and, and some sense of like, I understand why the mainstream media uh, went so, so big on it, but I also think there might have been something a little bit sort of self-destructive in the, the medium term about that. Uh, and I've tried to kind of segue all these things together because I do think there's a through line. Anyway, first up, I'm going to talk about the state of the merger. So where we're at right now is that the bill that merges TVNZ and RNZ is before Parliament. It's called the uh, Aotearoa New Zealand Public Media Bill. That is not that is meant to be a sort of a placeholder name for the new organisation, but I think it's actually going to end up being what it's called. If you listened uh, last week, uh, you'll have heard Simon Power, the, the newish CEO of TVNZ, uh, talking about uh, how they're broadly supportive of the of the bill, but there are a few issues that they they have, or, or they're supportive of the idea. And um, the interesting thing about that is that. That has been his public line, but there's been this kind of rumour that's kind of drumming around that while that's the public line, that the nature of their the issues that they have with the bill, that that uh, 
you know, he, he mentioned on the podcast are at a scale enough and they're fundamental enough to the bill that it could basically significantly slow it down or even alter the intent of it. And that is, uh, that is not at all what Willie Jackson, the, the broadcasting minister, wants. So what happened after I recorded yesterday was, was these three, three big beats. Firstly, the submissions on the bill became public. Sometime yesterday afternoon, the 800 submissions that they have received, uh, including one from the spin-off, all went live on the Parliament website. And if you look at, you know, all of the big media companies submitted on it, as, as you would expect with something that is, that is this profound and consequential to this industry, and it is really, really shocking the extent to which they say essentially the same thing. The first being, we support the idea of a merger, the second being this thing has got no clarity around how, the, how it will behave commercially and until it has some clarity, there is a grave danger of it absolutely smashing the, the private sector media. And, you know, if that's your intention, cool, but that, that doesn't seem to be what, what you're aiming to achieve here. Why, why are they so concerned? Basically because... You know, TVNZ is already probably the the best commercial operator in the industry. You know, it makes over three hundred million dollars a year, almost all of it in advertising revenue. Post merger, it will have that plus the forty million dollars a year that um, funds RNZ plus one hundred nine dollars a year, one hundred nine million dollars a year more. Sorry to to do whatever it wants with effectively, and whatever it wants could be some combination of buying a bunch of sports rights that will get people watching uh, you know, watching its channels uh, and, and watching its digital properties. Could be you know, buying the, the best ideas for new shows out there and, and putting them on its platforms. Could be hiring awesome talent away from you know, all of the other media companies in New Zealand. It could be offering commercial prices that are just a bit cheaper than, than everyone else because... They only really need to make 70 cents in the dollar as a not-for-profit with a big um, subsidy to, to survive. And any one of those would be a problem for the private sector media. But all of them could really, really sort of shut, shut some people down, could just radically diminish what's already like, you know, everyone knows that the number of journalists employed is half, the audiences are going south. You have a massive new state-funded competitor with that kind of ballast around it and it's going to be a problem. So that's basically what all of the submissions sketched out. And so that was the first big shooter drop. You know, there was, I think we all knew that there would be um, issues with the bill from the private sector media. What we didn't know was just the, the absolute unanimity and, and scale of the concerns expressed. And while that, that's on some level the point of a bill, it's, it, it's in draft form, they hear the submissions, they potentially evolve it, and, um, and then it gets better and it passes. There's just not a huge amount of time before you know, March 31 when the, this thing is supposed to happen and, and January or so when it's, when it's supposed to pass for all of that to be folded in the bill given the complexity of the issues raised. That was the first thing to happen. The next... 
And this was kind of, this is small and petty. I, I wrote a piece about this that you can read on the spinoff, but I basically described this as like, you know, being removed from the chat ahead, ahead of a party. But what, what happened was that on, on Monday, we've got a public holiday. Uh, you might even be listening to this on, on, on that public holiday rather than remembering the Queen like you're meant to. How dare you? But the... On my, we're going to have a big memorial service for the Queen, you know, because I guess you have to do that. Uh, and you would expect, given all of the energy that is going into merging these entities, that the natural broadcast of that would be TVNZ and RNZ. That's what you'd expect. But the broadcasters are RNZ, yes, but the other broadcaster is three, not TVNZ. Now, a source that I've spoken to at three said that that was actually a request that came from government. And it's on some level completely petty, but it's also instructive about the current state of the relationship between TVNZ and government, that they're just, they're really not getting on. So that was a, a little signal. And then bang, uh, Willie Jackson comes out with, um, you know, making some comments about the kind of current state of the relationship uh, between RNZ and TVNZ and, um, and the government. And you know, this I'm quoting here. He said that the merger was going, quote, going to require a change of culture, particularly from TVNZ. Not so much RNZ because I think they get the model. And then he, about TVNZ, he said, we've had a couple of meetings with them and I think they want the best of all worlds at the moment, but we need them to change their attitude. And that, yeah, that's pretty strong. You know, this is the minister who's ultimately in charge of both of those entities and who is driving, now in charge of driving this merger through to its conclusion. And it really says that this, you know, what, what has previously been a bit of a kind of behind closed doors tension between TVNZ and, and the Crown is, is very much now out in the open. And you know, Willie Jackson is a he's a former trade unionist. Like that, that is really in his bones. Is you know pushing against uh, the immovable object of a corporation and and kind of bending it to to the will of what he sees as his constituency. And you know this. Yeah, that, that, that's what he lives for. That's where he comes from. So he will, on some level, be enjoying this. He's certainly very experienced at this kind of uh, an, an interaction. So there, there, was, there is a school of thought that, that TVNZ, um, you know, this brilliant commercial operator that has actually made a very good trans, uh, digital transition. TVNZ Plus is a great product. It's, it's growing very fast. You know, part of TVNZ, you can forgive them for thinking, well, we're already doing this stuff. I don't really know why. You know, if you wanted to give us more money to do more things, great. But we're not broken. Don't try and fix us. Obviously, the government has a different perspective. It thinks that TVNZ is too commercially dominated, that it needs to have more of the, the kind of public media ethos that's in RNZ. What this episode at, at its broadest kind of now says is that where it might have been assumed that TVNZ would be the the biggest kind of part of this merger, that it's got more people, more money, it's a bigger, more famous brand, that actually the, the sort of public service, public media ethos, the non-commercial ethos of RNZ uh, under Paul Thompson is favoured by the government. And whether it's Thompson who, who leads it or not, whether he even wants to, I'm not sure, Got a request in for him to come on this podcast when when he returns from an overseas trip. Um, but 
that their culture, that their ethos will will be dominant and, and commercial will be kept in a box. How that works practically, honestly, that's that's a very difficult one to, to figure out. But, uh, you know, that, that is the intention and, you know, it's, you know, with, with time and diligence and, and smart people, I'm sure it can be figured out. The thing that's really interesting about where we're at now is that this is, there is a bit of a foot race to do this, that this is, you know, next year is an election year. This thing is supposed to happen by March 31. There really is a lot to do. And, you know, that, that's every chance. You know, it's a very competitive race according to polling now. National basically said, if the merger has happened, then we'll let it be. If it hasn't, we won't push it through ourselves. I think that's the most recent position, but obviously these things can evolve as well. So it can't really slip, you know, and a lot of things do, you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a difficult environment to operate in coming out of COVID. This is complicated policy. Um, but yeah, the, 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 that merger, which has been up until now just kind of moving along quite quietly, publicly expressed enthusiasm from most parties, privately expressed angst is is now you know it's 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 out there it's really it's a lot more of a kind of chaotic energy around it um than there had been to this point and it feels like the select committee which is going to hear oral submissions on the bill over the next couple of weeks those those uh select committee hearings are going to be pretty damned interesting uh, the ultimate aim of all this is to create a a new media entity or or use the channels of the existing ones or, or the the talent to reach audiences which don't currently get well served by our media that's actually a noble ambition like that's a really important thing that comes it's almost comes down to your sort of you know, social license to operate that if you're going to tax a bunch of people and then make a product, for them, that they all should have a part of it that's made for them, that they access, that they enjoy and appreciate. Right now, you know, that's just not really, that's not nearly so true of of younger and more diverse communities uh, than it is for older Pākehā audiences with TV and Z and R and Z. And that's not particularly a criticism of either of them. It's just that they come from linear television and, and radio as the core of what they do. They still have to do that. And they haven't had massive increases in funding, and that's just not what you know, those younger and more diverse audiences are doing with their eyes and ears. So it matters. This is the the route the the government's taken. Is, is the merger? It could have given more money to New Zealand on Air and said it looks like that organisation is going to get a big uh, funding cut. It's all a very large and complicated and and profound change. The biggest that's happened in in our state media for generations and it's coming at us very fast and it's suddenly got very contentious so I'll keep uh, addressing that on, on this show but uh, yeah it's there's a lot going on um, I can't lie I am kind of excited by it but uh, I also recognize that it's not just about the excitement of it you know which I can as a, a sort of a, a dude who kind of observes the media very closely the the this is actually really really important work too so it's important we get it right so the the state of social media 
I think we, we've lived through a very long period where social media kind of felt like it was on some level it was it was fairly fixed. You had Facebook, Big Blue as you know the most dominant thing, maybe not the most loved, but something that basically everyone had to use. You had Instagram, which grew very fast to become the the picture thing and sort of cannily stole from Snapchat to to get a bit of um, video in there, and that felt like it was a sort of a clear second place. You had YouTube, which did, you know, is is it social media? It's kind of a, it's a bit edge casey. It's got user-generated content, but by far the majority of users just use it to watch. Um, some will interact with that content more than others, but they were the, the dominant for sort of uh, horizontal video and, and still um, a massively successful and important part of the system. You had Twitter, which is basically a sort of a niche community uh, takes machine. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, there, there was the likes of WhatsApp and Messenger and so on. But I, I almost think they're, 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 those are kind of category differences. They're more kind of giant messaging than, than public-facing social media. So, you know, that, that sort of system seemed to hold for, for a relatively long period of time. And then TikTok comes along and feels like it has just blown up everything. It's become such an attention monster. You know, there are a lot of stats over the last year or so that suggest, you know, in terms of time spent, in terms of data consumed, that it might have been the biggest thing on the internet last year for something that basically didn't exist in 2018. That I, I don't think we can talk about that enough. Certainly we should talk about it more than the freaking Queen's funeral. Uh, and obviously this is tremendously challenging to Mark Zuckerberg. Look, in part, it kind of proves a thesis that they've had all along, which is that, yes, we own a massive part of the market, but, you know... We shouldn't be considered monopolies, and you know the the sort of antitrust drums that are beating about us, you know, they 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 are misplaced because we're vulnerable, and so it's proved. You know, like like let's be honest, but and and their share price reflects that. But also, you know, I think that there is with each of these new discoveries, they're almost unique creations unto themselves. And as much as they try and copy elements of what they do, people use them in different ways and want different things from them. And that has been, you know, I think the big lesson of this is there is a tension between uh, what the business goals of a Facebook are and what, or, or a meta are, and, and what people like using those platforms for. And you know, how, how it should respond to what the audience, um, what the audience is, is showing, like the revealed intention of its behavior on other platforms versus whether the, the, the existing Facebook audience actually wants it to move into being basically TikTok by any other name. Either way, it's happening because Mark Zuckerberg remains the controlling shareholder of Meta, and he, I may have mentioned this on the pod before, I think it's really important to understand what an absolute obsessive uh, student of classics Zuckerberg 
was. And, you know, if you read books about Facebook, that's a real present thought of his, that he basically has this kind of wartime general persona that he puts on when he perceives threat or opportunity. And he will kind of bend the whole company to his will. It's not not impressive, you know, what what he accomplishes, but it's also kind of scary given that he's the unelected boss of so much of our attention. Uh, so on one, the one one element of that is this huge bet on the metaverse that he's made, uh, which, man, I mean, it's a massive bet. It's billions of dollars. I still don't necessarily believe it, but, you know, much smarter people than me do. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. The other side of it is, in terms of his existing infrastructure, it is taking what is happening and and really trying to learn from what TikTok has done, which is, you know, Facebook was an, and, and Instagram were really organized around what they call the social graph. So you followed people that were in your address book, basically, and, and maybe a few other sort of brands, and that became a very efficient marketing machine. TikTok's big insight was, we'll just show you entertaining content based on your revealed preferences just by serving you lots and lots of short-form things and learning very fast uh, what that tells us about you. And Facebook said, look, they're right. That is a better way of going about things. And so both in terms of the short-form vertical video and content from anywhere that our, um, you know, our big data processing shows us what you like, we're going to move first Instagram and then Facebook towards that. That is not a small thing. Like, that's massive. And you saw that with Instagram where they basically just started doing it. They started doing it in a way that didn't really, like users didn't really like. You know, there was a, you know, that whole Kardashian make Instagram, Instagram again thing. They ended up walking back a bit from it while also saying, we're going to do this. We just recognize that our, our algorithm isn't that good yet. There's also like, you know, lots of weird anti-competitive stuff. I went to this event not so long ago that was run by Instagram and they wouldn't even say the words TikTok. They would just constantly talk about some other competitors have a watermark. If you upload your content with a watermark, the algorithm will down, down, uh, downrank it. So they're encouraging people to create original content for their platform in a way that, honestly, if there was a functioning, not a functioning Commerce Commission, but if this stuff was properly regulated, all of this would be seen as kind of anti-competitive. And Anyway, we, we don't regulate social media. It's probably, to my mind, the signal policy failure of, of our time and basically half the bad stuff in the world is attributable to it. But that's by the by. The, the point is that the, these, these companies are just desperately trying to, to copy TikTok. It almost doesn't matter what the audience wants. They're that, they're that terrified. But TikTok is just winning. It's winning a kind of a brand war. It just feels cooler. It's currently hiring its first New Zealand staff. Because like, right now, all it has is attention. It's going to become masses and masses of money. And that money will be... Yeah, obviously all money in yeah, you know, all money spent in New Zealand comes from a big pool that represents every dollar and every year there's less spent on, you know, boring old New Zealand media that employs people here and more and more spent on, you know, these platforms. That's a that's a you know, a discussion for another time. But the 
the point is that it will come away from Facebook's, um, you know, from Meta's companies and go towards TikTok. That just feels like an inevitability. And, you know, that is ultimately the sort of rear guard that, that Zuckerberg is trying to, to fight right now. The thing which I think has been underrated in all this is the impact on the rest of New Zealand's media. Like when Facebook first walked into the room, it said, we are a place for sharing. And it encouraged, you know, lots of organisations, uh, you know, brands, um, creators, me, you know, traditional media, digital media, to set up shop there, to rely on it for you know, a particular relationship with its audience. It said, spend a lot of money here building that audience and, and, and speaking to that audience. It's, you know, this is a, this is what, it, this is what we are for. And so we all did that and, and built up audiences, you know, we've got about 130,000 odd followers there. RNZ about 280,000 all the way up to, to the Herald with about 1.3 million or so. And we did that on the basis that we would create news content. We would put it in feeds. This was a for our audiences. This was a cool way to use Facebook. I can see what what Auntie Jane's up to, but I can also catch up with the news. And you know, there was a good value exchange out there. Our content made their thing more professional. They could sell ads around it. We got some some audience from it. Uh, and obviously there is a, you know, precisely how much value exchange there is, is up for debate. In fact, it's currently before the Commerce Commission. I won't address that. But the point is that was the, that was the fundamental idea of what Facebook was for, for its audience. And lately, Facebook has literally explicitly told us, like people, you know, my good friends who work there, Facebook is not for that anymore. You, we're not going to be a place where you can share links and expect traffic to come. And you're going, I remember them telling me, and I was like, yeah, that, that seems interesting, but, you know, I'm busy. And then the more I sat with it, I was like, oh, that's kind of the biggest thing to, to happen to our industry since the Facebook came along because link sharing through the biggest platform there is is enormous. Like that, that, that is a huge part of our traffic. It's a huge part of all traffic. It's, it's virality of stories versus, so this, you know, as an audience member, you can go to a news platform and read stories. That's important. But a huge part of the, the sort of spiky traffic is is through viral stories, which, which go on Facebook and, you know, for whatever reason, they have this kinetic quality that makes them spread. That quality, you know, drives the news. I think it's, a, it's important. Uh, you know, we... We would have our core audience that come to our platform, but there's a there's a second audience which is also core, but just behaves differently. That is used to that understands. I read the spinoff through Facebook, and that's how they've done it for years. Facebook has changed that. Like in recent, it's it's weeks we have seen our traffic through Facebook and our engagement metrics on Facebook plummet, like halve, and we're not alone in that. This has been made a little bit noisy by the Queen's death, which I'll, I'll talk about shortly, but there are other major media platforms, most notably RNZ, which have also seen their engagement rates plummet. Engagement rates are a pretty good pl proxy for traffic. 
So this isn't catastrophic. We've, we used to be way more reliant on Facebook traffic than we are, and our, our core audience come to us anyway. In fact, our, our homepage views are, are trending up because I think some people are starting to sense, oh, I haven't seen much from the spinoff there in a while, and I'm sure I am seeing a lot of kind of short-form vertical video content here. The point is, Facebook just hasn't told the story publicly, and I think that that is quite disingenuous. Like, it's very important when the, for people who have, because you told them to, relied on your platform to get news and information, if you're going to stop doing that, you should say so. Like, that should be your biggest comms goal for six months. We've got a local election on. You know, there are anti-vaccine candidates standing right now. Stuff has done a fantastic job in uncovering some of that. Like, the, this is just, it just could not be more important. And I just think it's beyond cynical to make such a profound change in terms of how your product's operating, the type of content it's serving, and not do a massive public-facing campaign about that it's happening and why it's happening. Because we rely on it for so much more. And we saw in Australia when they just turned off news, they also turned off cyclone warnings and you know public health warnings during a pandemic. It was a, it was a massive deal. And when you think about that happening slowly, about all of the you know thousands of government comms people that still rely primarily on Facebook to do their job, that stuff's going away too. There's just, it, there's just so much in it that I think should be made public and... I just think that we aren't thinking and talking about it enough. So I figure with my podcast, if I do that, that that's the that's the job done. No, look, uh, I'll I'll try and write about it some more. But but ultimately, this is a much much bigger discussion than me. I just hope that government and media and regulators and all the people who are interested parties to this—that's basically everyone—start to pay more attention to the storyline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Uh, lastly... And this is somehow relevant. I, I think I had more of a through line. I'm, I want to talk about the Queen and the coverage of the Queen. Uh, why is it relevant to this? I mean, on some level, it's just a one-time content bomb. You know, uh, we're not really talking about the institution of monarchy, whether we should have a republic, all of that stuff here. Look, that's, as they say, a discussion for another day or at least another forum. I'm really talking about the, 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 the volume of coverage and where that coverage was distributed. You know, by and large, you'd say that the older your audience is, the more absolute, like, full throttle you've gone with Queen is Dead coverage. We, on day one, 
you know, it's a, it was an enormous event. It came to some extent out of a clear blue sky. We responded, you know, I, I you know, again, super biased, but I was really proud of our editorial team, the way they stepped up, the way they wrote, the way they commissioned, and the way that we've continued to kind of analyse it from, you know, Tara and Alex live blogging the funeral with a sense of humour, but also of occasion to Anaraf Tikonal writing about the, the sort of meme side of the Queen to the to Morgan Godfrey kind of uh, writing about her as an adiki and you know and 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 all of and, and everything in between. But the I guess the point is that that stuff didn't really rate for us. You know, like I was on some level prouder of our audience for not being overly fussed by the situation. Uh, they they sort of it was a news story. People like to read about it. But our, our traffic, our site didn't sort of buckle and flex under the weight of interest. Now, that clearly wasn't the case with the rest of the, the media. You know, we had the, the funeral streamed live on, on both one and three. We had, you know, bumping their very high rate in content. We've had the kind of key reporters shipped to, to London to basically stand next to a queue. I must recommend Hayden Donnell's midweek media watch from last week where he kind of recapped a lot of the absurdity of that in, in a very entertaining style. We had, I think the apex of it was Morning Report, which is probably the, the New Zealand media product I consume the most. I love it. It frustrates me. But it really, like, I, I, I couldn't kind of really believe it. But on Tuesday, the day after the Queen's funeral, there were 15 separate items outside of their scheduled, you know, rural news, business updates, so on. And only one of them was not about the Queen, and that one was about Jacinda Ardern flying to New York. So there's definitely some Queen content in that. And I just think, this was the day after the Affendel report was released. We can talk about the cynicism of, of that timing, sure, agree. But, you know, as, as news editors, we have a, we should basically be able to kind of treat something with the importance that it deserves but also not go com- not completely lose our heads over it and and this the the sheer volume of coverage uh, is basically indicative that it is rating you know we 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 understand our relationship with our audience so the the reason that the news sites newspapers etc kind of stayed with us is because audiences were sort of lapping it up and I just think that's a bit of a dangerous thing to do at this moment, and I'll, I'll sort of tell you why. And I think it's because, you know, I've been writing a little bit for um, Lucy Blackiston's Shit You Should Care About uh, newsletter about the monoculture, about that period when we were we all had to watch a relatively narrow number of channels, stations, magazines, newspapers. So we kind of had this common cultural language. We always, we knew who the same celebrities were, et cetera. And the, the royal family is the ultimate version of that. You just knew so much about them just by existing. You couldn't avoid it. And that's for people you know, my age. I'm 42. My age on up, uh, that, that's particularly so. And that's why, and I think the older you are, the more monocultural your life has been, the more... The royal family is just this constant. The queen, just the, the biggest celebrity in the world in some respects, and and so I understand like that's why why the coverage. But it's it also feels like 
for people so younger than say 35, 30, this is just bizarre. And I also think it's alienating. So if you are creating the, these products with an eye on not just your kind of core audience, but also on your future audience and how you sort of are perceived, having saturation coverage of the Queen's death, while it's great for the base, you know, you've got to win over these sort of marginal newcomers. And I think it, it makes us look as an industry completely out of touch with, you know, proportionality and what else is going on in the world. Like, Putin's walking around there with a nuclear missile launcher and we just are interviewing people about their corgis. And I just think, I'm not saying it wasn't a big deal. I'm not saying it shouldn't have dominated the, the, the sort of the coverage on Monday and Tuesday. I do think, though, that it was way overboard and I worry a little bit as we're about to merge TVNZ and RNZ, the fact that both of them were just wall-to-wall, it means that the job is harder. The job of attracting new audiences and making the case to them that you understand them and their interests. And look, this has never been harder than before because before you didn't have any choice. So you could you could just pander to this. You would, you'd have done this 20 years ago, consequence-free, we probably all get into it, but now they can tune out. And when they tune out, they're tuning into TikTok. That's really good. It's just really, really good. And if you don't like the queen, the algorithm will not show you the queen. And that's the sort of, and then how do you claw them back? I mean, you can say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's just, they, you know, they're just choosing their own culture. But I think it matters. I think the fact that TikTok will show you content from anywhere in the world and doesn't necessarily and naturally serve you content from this country, it can lead to a bit of a disengagement with it. Next year, we've got a general election. It'd be quite nice if some young people voted in it. Uh, you know, they've got a much greater degree of future time investment that they have to spend in this place. We as media sometimes have to act against our immediate financial, editorial, metrics-based interests to keep the people that we want, the audiences that we want, engaged. And I just think that we basically just gave in to the, you know, that we got that one last hit of monocultural power and, and it's a bit at what cost. Because what I'll be watching... You know, everyone had a bump last week in terms of their crowd tangle numbers. These are the sort of Facebook engagement stats. Started looking like it was May 22 all over again. But I think that when that fades, you know, absent some other big news bomb, when we get back to just boring old normal service, I just worry that not only will the, the stats continue to trend down, but the those younger audiences that we sort of alienated by being just queen mania 24-7, that they will not come back. And that's a problem for all of us. Uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of a dangerous game. Anyway, uh, still love the media, still love all the New Zealand media. Just think we just did something a bit bizarre. But that's okay. We'll get through it. Thank you for listening. Uh, really appreciate um, you all indulging me, the occasional monopod. Really appreciate to I hear Butler editing this thing and Jane letting me do it and all my colleagues at the spin-off uh, for, for um, just, you know, making, making, making my job fun. One thing, if you're still around, I love you. Uh, can you please give me a little rating on Apple Podcast or Spotify? Had a few bad ratings 
got me down to a 4.6. feel like some people are looking at me when when making that decision, going, mm, maybe this is a ranked podcast. Maybe it is. Maybe that's a, that's a fair reflection, but I just would love to bump it up. So could you go and give me, give me five stars? <laughs> Jesus Christ, what's wrong with me? All right, that's me. That was The Fold. Kakite uh, The Fold was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network. It was hosted by Duncan Greve. Produced by T.I. Hair Butler, with production management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.